Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get started. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a link to this particular story. It's been percolating for a while, and now the story is sort of coming to a head. At University of Wisconsin-Madison, you have some students who have become obsessed with political correctness. And, of course, you, you saw that with the move to try to remove the Abraham Lincoln statue from, from Bascom Hill, the statue that, that's been there forever. But you have some students who decided, well, even though Abraham Lincoln authored the Emancipation Proclamation, even though Abraham Lincoln was the person who took this country into the Civil War to stop the country from separating over the issue of slavery, Abraham Lincoln really wasn't supportive enough of the minority population, so we shouldn't be honoring him. That, that, that's the attitude that, that's going there. So that's the sentiment that's driving some decisions at UW, and it's coming to a head again. All right, there is and has been on Observatory Hill, there has been, well, it's a 70-ton boulder, which has been where it's sitting for about the last hundred years it's a 70 ton boulder it's officially known now hear me out on this because i understand you're going to be saying why are we talking about a boulder well get this it's officially known as chamberlain rock and it's named in honor of thomas crowder chamberlain who's a geologist and the former university president like i say that this rock has been in its location for going on a hundred years now now there is a, a bunch of historical significance to this because you know what happens is that this rock is again it, it's evidence of the particular you know geological fissures which are in that particular area it's um, very close to a cataloged Native American burial site as well and it, it's been there forever and ever all right so why are we talking about this well back in 1925 there was an article, 1925, that appeared in the Wisconsin State Journal. And I've got a link to this story. And the reference to the, the rock, they didn't call it the Chamberlain Rock. It was, it was a reference that was used, I guess commonly they say in the 1920s, don't know, I wasn't around there, that whenever you had large, dark rocks, there was a term that was used to refer to large, dark rocks that involved the N-word. All right, And there's a story in the State Journal, I've got a link to it, back in 1925, that, that uses that word in reference to this large, dark rock. Now, as far as historians can tell, that is the only official published reference where the Chamberlain Rock was referred to in that fashion. But there's some people who say, well, you know, in the 20s and 30s, that's how some of the students at, at UW referred to that particular large rock. Now, I have a couple friends who graduated from UW in the 1950s, way before my time. And actually, I made a couple inquiries today. And I, the inquiry was, you know, this big rock that was out there, 
do you do you know what I'm talking about? And did you ever remember it being referred to as sort of a, a of a racial slur? Now these are people in the fifties, and in general, the response I got was, "We have no idea what you're talking about." So it's not like this is something that has been going on and is commonly referred to. It, it is entirely possible, I guess, in the 20s and 30s and maybe even the 1940s that there was a, a slang reference to this particular rock. But to the extent that that happened, it happened 75, 80, 90 years ago. And now it's referred to as the, the Chamberlain Rock. Well, a number of students, the Wisconsin Black Student Union, um, and I think there's some of the same people that are you know, pushing for removing the Abraham Lincoln statue. They have called for the rock's removal, saying you, you, need to, you need to get rid of this. We believe that that rock is a symbol of the daily injustices that students of color face on a predominantly white campus. All right? So they have been pressuring for this. And apparently... The squeaky wheel does get the grease because the story in the State Journal today is that UW-Madison is moving forward on a plan to remove the boulder from Observatory Hill, quote, after calls from students of color who see the rock as a painful reminder of the history of racism on campus. Now, it's not easy to remove a 70-ton boulder with historical significance. And they don't exactly know what they're going to do with it yet. Uh, Do you break up? Do you destroy the boulder? Do you move it to a different location? The cost of removing this, they estimate it ranges from about $30,000 to $75,000. But it's not just a question of of removing the rock. Again, what, what happens is this rock is very, very close to a cataloged Native American burial site. So all Native tribes of Wisconsin have to be notified during the process. That can take 60 to 90 days. It includes a 30-day comment period. A qualified archaeologist is also required to be on the site during the removal. So it's not just as easy as let's take 75 grand, let's load up a forklift, and let's bring in a backhoe, and let's lift the rock. It's a big deal to remove this rock. Our number. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, my, my note on Twitter was, we're going to be moving a 70-ton rock because over 70 years ago, some UW kids may have used a racially insensitive term to refer to it. All right, is, is that realistically going to make life any better for anybody in 2021? We're going to spend, I mean, think about what they're going to spend on this. Let, let's, let's say it comes in middle ground. Let's say it's 50 grand to take this giant boulder and move it somewhere. All right? Can you spend, can you think of a sillier way to spend $50,000? I mean, seriously, if you wanted to address social justice issues or, or racial equity issues or whatever, I mean, can you think of a dumber way to spend $50,000 than to try to remove a 70-ton boulder that's been there for a 100 years and that nobody probably currently living would would have ever referred to it as this derogatory slur? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, stuff like this just makes my head want to explode. As I frequently say, I understand that there is real 
racism in this world. And I think when you identify those areas of real racism, what you need to do is you need to concentrate on it and deal with it. But it's a 70-ton boulder who, again, it's the Chamberlain Rock. To the extent anybody called it by a different name, that was 75 or 80 or 90 years ago. What do we accomplish by moving the thing? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 15 to the 10, cutting left to the 5. Touchdown! He's going to be hit. And it's sacked. He is sacked at the play. Final dagger. Nobody covers the pack like us. We had no preseason to see where guys were lining up, so there was a lot of questions going into yesterday's game. It kind of feels like Aaron Rodgers and company said, you can have a nice glass and shut the hell up. We've got Super Bowl champions, top analysts, and more. Break down the games with me, John Merck, here every weekday at 320. It's Packers Insiders on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Hey, let's talk a minute about our longtime friends of WTMJ, Bruce and Gene Nemovitz. They are experts in senior real estate. Their team of professionals do it all, from preparing your home or your parents' home for sale to downsizing to arranging an estate sale and more. Bruce's team will sell your home, and they'll sell it at the highest value, and they'll sell it in the shortest period of time. With over 3,000 satisfied families, Bruce's team brings experience, trust, and integrity. It's exactly what you can expect while they work with you and your family. Listen to my conversation with them at brucesteam.com. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, if you're looking for a classic example of virtue signaling, this is it. You have this 70-ton boulder that's been on um, Observatory Hill out in Madison since 1925. A hundred years ago, apparently it had a slang term. It's always been the Chamberlain Rock, but there was a slang term that apparently people a hundred years ago used to refer to large, dark rocks. All right, it hasn't been called that forever, and yet you've got this black student unions group in, in, at Madison who's upset about this who's upset about this and they're demanding it be removed all right despite the fact that nobody's used this derogatory term for decades and decades and decades and despite the fact that it's probably going to cost best case scenario at least 50 grand 50,000 bucks to move it let's start with ryan and madison ryan you're on wtmj yeah it's absolutely insane i mean it's yeah this rock has been there for like ten thousand years the the glaciers deposited it i mean yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can't imagine that the university would do it. I mean, also, this is this rock right. This is a part of an archaeological complex. Around it. Yes. Uh, it, it makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. I mean, that thing has been there for thousands of years, <laughs> and now they're going to move it because somebody called the rock a name. Uh, yeah, that, that's a <laughs> hundred years ago. Sense. Yeah, no, no, no. Thanks for the call. That that that's exactly right. And it, because somebody. Call, and the way the, the way the state journal describes this is apparently a hundred years ago that was a phrase that was was used in the 1920s to describe any large dark rock okay that that's 90 or a hundred years ago nobody refers to it as that as now nobody has referred to it for <laughs> for that for decades and decades and decades and and your point is exactly correct see there's there is 
there is an educational value to this. I mean, the rock uh, carried by glaciers from perhaps as far as north of, of Canada, I mean, it's it's been there for thousands of years. I mean, it's a, they use it, as a matter of fact, they, they use it as a teaching tool in the, the geology department. I mean, this is, this is a part of, again, Wisconsin geology that's there. And you're going to, in some cases, look, some people are talking about they want to destroy it. We just got to get rid of the whole thing. We have to break it down. To which my point is, you know, really? I mean, candidly, I, I think this has got to be one of those examples where you, you had you know some aggrieved student who must have walked around with the same thing with the Abraham Lincoln stuff, trying to find something that they were offended about. And, oh, my gosh, 100 years ago, there's this story in the State Journal where they use this inappropriate reference, clearly an inappropriate reference, to refer to this particular rock. So now we're going to fight a battle from 100 years ago? I mean, seriously, think about that 50 grand. Isn't there a better way if we're going to try to deal with issues regarding racism isn't there a better way to spend 50 grand or let me put it another way can't you think of about 150 ways that you could better spend 50 grand or 75 grand than removing this rock kurt in wauwatosa kurt you're on wtmj hey thanks for taking my call um i'm an archaeologist in the state of wisconsin and i actually run an organization that's called the effigy mounds initiative which uh helps private and public landowners uh get mound sites cataloged and provide uh, best care uh, practices for dealing with mound sites. And my take on this, and believe me, I'm as liberal as they come, I think this is a complete malarkey waste of time. Um, I've done research on the mounds and the burial sites that's on that, on Observatory Hill there over the years, and there's even some evidence, uh, I can't think of the reference off the top of my head, that, that that boulder was actually moved uh, upslope to its position where it is now uh, when they were developing the campus and the roads that go mm-hmm. by that mound, that mound site from years ago. And I can tell you there are mounds and burials uh, that are right near that rock. And, right. you know, you mentioned a little bit about the uh, archaeological processes, processes to go through to remove that rock of having an archaeologist on hand. And, you know, the way the current Burial Sites Protection Act is written is that there, there isn't supposed to be any subsurface disturbance within a catalog burial site. And if I'm correct, if I remember, that boulder does lie within the catalog burial site of that, of Observatory Hill. So I think you're I think you're right. I've the story read, I'm looking at suggests that. I think you're exactly right. That so you're, yeah. you're, so what you're saying is that it's not just even a matter of pulling up a forklift or whatever and taking out that rock. You're 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 opening a huge can of worms because you've got the Native American exactly. burial mounds yes. that are there. Exactly. So what the, they I, should do is take that fifty grand and use it towards Native American education. Is what they should do, and and why it's important that that burial mound site is there. So that's well, I, I, exactly. No, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. See that that's and see that that's the common sense uh, approach of this. And I think you're you're exactly right. Like I say my note says um, you you can't just do this. I mean, it's not like hey, let's just let's just pull up and let's pull that statue out. I mean, you've got to submit a request to disturb a cataloged burial site. All Native American tribes of Wisconsin are notified during the process. It, it's this is once you start going down this route. Now again, I, the the thing I'm saying says they estimate thirty to seventy five grand, but the more I hear about this and the more I think about it, I don't. It sounds like 
it sounds like you're looking potentially at court fights. It sounds to me like you're looking at a lot more expensive um, term for this. Um, let's see, uh, Jeff, not only do they want the rock removed, once it's removed, they want the empty space reclaimed so they aren't reminded of what was there. Huh. Uh, you know, heavy thing. Um, let's see. Uh, we've got a lot of texts here. You know, Jeff, what progress has been made when that's all left to, all that's left to protest is that it was a rock that was a called a, a bad name a hundred years ago that is now used freely in so popular, many popular songs these days. Well, that, that's, you know, another interesting point. Jeff, it sounds like certain students have done their history lesson. I wonder if some of those same students are as diligent in their studies at UW. Jeff, um, I think it is awful that there's so many people just trying to find things to be offended about. Jeff, somebody has too much time on their hands. If they have to look back in UW history to find something to be offended by, I say, get a job. Jeff, let those who are offended pay to have it removed. Jeff, I mean, it makes no sense. They're citing an article from 1925 that used a racial slur. Of course, it's irrelevant that it's named after a good man and a leader of the school. Um, It is the cancel culture at work. Um, Yeah, I think that's. Jeff, it seems like an excellent time to establish benchmarks for the removal of offending monuments instead of it just offends. Jeff, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but what gets accomplished by things like this? We create more racism. We make it harder for instances of real racism to be taken seriously. We encourage more childish behavior. And and yes, we, we waste money. Um, yeah. Jeff, I'm a 70s UW grad, and I know about the rock you're talking about. I have never until today heard of the derogatory reference. Some people need to get a life and figure out how to make a positive contribution rather than to tear down the, um, tear down, uh, rather than to tear down the past. Well, that's why, like I said, that's a 70s UW grad. I I, I reached out today to people, like I said, who who graduated in the 50s because I'm thinking, okay, the the story I was looking at saying that maybe in the 30s and 40s that was a more common reference that was used, uh, again, to relate to large, dark rocks. But the people I was talking to who were at UW in the 50s, they they knew the rock, but but nobody knew what that term was. So, I, I mean, I wonder, is this, again, you know, the perpetual, the politically correct and the perpetually offended trying to find something to be upset about. You are opening a huge geological can of worms and you're spending $10,000, you're spending $50,000 or more. And at the end of the day, you haven't made the life of, of one student or one person in the community, whether they are white or black or brown or whatever, you haven't done anything to make their life any better at all, period. Case closed, and yet we do it. Again, if you want to see more details on the story and see actually a picture of The Rock, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to the State Journal story. Back with more in just a minute. Don't you go anywhere. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs) 
Melissa Barkley and WTMJ are teaming up with the Hunger Task Force to help make a difference for families in need this holiday season. And we're also having a little bit of fun along the way. We have been telling everybody about this, and it's kind of winding down. You know the deal. All the different shows are competing to see who can help donate the most Thanksgiving turkeys to families in need. It's WTMJ Cares. Pass the turkey. What you do, and you still have an opportunity to do this, it, it's through the Hunger Task Force. Fifteen bucks provides a turkey, which then goes to a family in need. You go to WTMJ Cares, the start of our website at WTMJTech.com. You can see the uh, past the turkey. You can then scroll on down. You'll see the different shows. Pick out your favorite WTMJ show, whether it's mine or another one, and then make this donation. There's still an opportunity to make a difference. This has been an incredibly successful um, charitable operation. And, I again, I've I've been doing... I've been here at WTMJ for more than 23 years. I am always amazed at the way you respond to to times of need. And this is one of those times. There's no question about it. You know, as we deal with the pandemic and all the fallout from the pandemic, a lot of people hurting this holiday season. And and this is a way to help make sure that we can help feed folks. So very much appreciate that. And um, if you haven't donated yet or if you have donated and you still want to donate again, that would be great. Pick your favorite WTMJ show. It's WTMJ Cares, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. All right. We are in what they call the, the lame duck section, segment of Congress. So what's happened is you've had the election. You have some members of the House and the Senate who are going to be leaving. You have new people who are going to be coming in. But yet the people that are still there, there's going to be one more session. And so there's still a chance to pass legislation before Joe Biden takes over in January. And, yeah, I know some people don't think that's going to happen. We'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later on. But there's still an opportunity to do things. Over the course of the last couple months, there's been a huge battle going on in Congress about whether or not there should be a second stimulus program. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House, they're, they're looking at they would like to spend a, another two plus T as in trillion dollars in a second sort of stimulus program that they would send out. And it, it's if you look at it, it, it's every sort of it's everything that you would put together on a liberal wish list. We want to take all this money and we want to use it not to just spend stuff to help people who are suffering in the pandemic, but we want to uh, spend money on all these other programs that we like. Then you've got the Republicans who are saying, well, we're not sure that we need to have any sort of stimulus program because uh, the economy has picked up a little bit, still got a long way to go, but we don't have the, the needs that we had before. And the truth is, Hopefully, they're going to meet somewhere in the middle. But one of the most pressing questions that's out there is, what do we do? What do we do with the $1,200 stimulus checks and a second round of those? Now, most people, most people got a $1,200 stimulus check last spring. Um, The limits were, if you had, I, I think if you were an individual, Paying taxes and your adjusted gross income was less than seventy-five grand. You you got a you got a check, twelve hundred dollar check. If it was married filing jointly, I think you could have an adjusted gross income of, of up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So lots of people got the twelve hundred dollar checks. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I want to discuss with you: Should the government? send out another round of stimulus checks 
and should it go to everybody who got one the first time around? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer, and hear me out on this, my answer is is no. It shouldn't go to everyone. I'm not against a second round of stimulus checks, but I think rather than just sending $1,200 to everybody, including lots of people who don't necessarily need it, we have to be a lot more targeted. Now, I mean, all I can do is tell you anecdotally, I know a lot of people who, because of you know where their adjusted gross income fell, they, 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 they got money. And in many cases, they were sitting there saying, Jeff, I, I can't believe we, we got this money. We don't need the money. We worked through the pandemic. you know. So we had our income coming in. We had our regular income coming in. It, it wasn't cut. We, we didn't need the $1,200. Now, if the government gives you $1,200 a piece or $2,400 for a married couple, I, I understand that you're not going to send it back. But I can't tell you how many people I spoke to who said, you know, this, this shouldn't be coming to us. I, I, I know lots of people who who are retired, who got these checks. And I will tell you something, they have a ton of assets, just a ton of assets. They don't need the 1200 bucks. Now, they're, again, they're going to take it. If the government gives you 1200 bucks. that's fine. But simply because their, their adjusted gross income for last year or the year before that was below $150,000, that doesn't mean that they needed the, the money. They could theoretically have millions of dollars in the IRA, but because they haven't started required minimum distributions or whatever, they're not reporting the stuff as taxable income. I'm not against another round of stimulus, but I think it has to be targeted. It has to be targeted to people who've been, in my opinion, impacted by the, the, the virus, people who've, who've lost their jobs, people who've had their income cut substantially as a result of the jobs, people who need the money. And we can argue about how we're going to define that, but at least in my opinion, just sending everybody $1,200 checks doesn't make any sense. I know why we did it before, because we wanted to get money into as many people's hands as possible as quickly as possible. I get it. Not criticizing that decision that was made months ago, but that doesn't mean that we can't be smarter now, does it? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I mean, I, I understand when the pandemic first hit, the government wanted to do everything it could to get money into people's hands as quickly as possible. So you had this blast, $1,200 going out to a large number of Americans. But the reality is, a lot of people who got it, didn't need it. And I'm putting need in quotation marks. I mean, look, I understand if the government's going to give you 1200 bucks, sure, you're, you're going to take it. But but there, it comes at a huge cost. And I guess all I am saying is moving forward, I think what we have to do is, is be more targeted. I'm not against the second round of stimulus, but if you've got a retiree that's sitting on $3 million in their retirement account, or if you have people who have been working throughout the entire pandemic, for example, who you know have haven't had any sort of loss of income a- at all. You know, what why are we sending them $1200? Let's start with Keith in Brookfield. Keith, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, what do you think? Can you hear me? I can. What well, do you think? I, 
I totally agree with you. I've, I've actually had this conversation before on the radio. I think the first set of stimulus checks, unfortunately, were just political theater. All right, they were done to just make people feel good. What we should have done, and I think some European countries did it, unfortunately, I can't tell you which ones they were, uh, they targeted the industries that were closed down and said, we're right. going to guarantee your payroll, we're going to guarantee your owner's uh, bills, like leases and things like that. And that's pretty much we, what we should have done. In our first shutdown, we really didn't shut down everything. The grocery stores were open, the home improvement places, the pharmacies, et cetera, et cetera. I work for a company that has 80,000 employees, and we've all been working from home since March. Right. All right? So I got a stimulus check. I really didn't want one. I'm still earning my full paycheck. What we should have done was targeted it to the people who were impacted. And I agree with you. If we do another round, I think we have to be smart about it and do that. Focus it right, on the exactly. people who are not earning any money right now and give them the stimulus. The rest of us, if we're working, right. we don't need it. Well, that, that's it. And thanks for the call, Keith. And, see, and, and that, that to me is, is what makes the, the most sense. And, and like I say, I, I, have, I have several people who I know who are retired, and they have substantial amounts of assets. And they were just blown away that, you know, they go to their mailbox or they get their bank statement and they find that the government has put, you know, $2,400 into their bank account. And, and, and again, I, I don't expect them to send it back. I understand that. But, but these are people that have large amounts of assets, but it didn't necessarily show up on their adjusted gross income because they haven't started cashing that in or whatever. We need to figure out a way to target this and, and get relief to the people that, that need it. Now, some people are texting me and say, well, well Jeff, you, you know, we, we want people to spend. So, you know, if, if you give $1,200, and again, it, it's this idea of free money. If you give $1,200 to somebody, even if that person's a multimillionaire, chances are that, that they're going to spend it. So that's good for the economy. Well, okay, the problem with that line of thinking is that money has to come from somewhere. It's not like money just grows on trees. It's not just free money. I want to help people. I, I think the government should help people. And I appreciate that there's a lot of people who are still hurting as a result of all the stuff that's gone on over the last several months. But we need, at least in my opinion, to be smarter moving forward. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Well, your you point think? is well taken, if I can make a quick comment. But it is a monumental task, though, to try to identify just the people who need it. And that's why you end up with all this corruption. And to get to my original point, people getting money who don't need it and their employers calling them up and saying, hey, you know, you can come back to work, but they don't want to come back to work because, well, I'm getting free money. So this has been a nice summer. I can just hang out, you know, and that does nobody any good. But the other point with the liberal wish list that you pointed out right uh right. you know in that is all this bailout again for places like chicago and the state of illinois and right. again why should the 49 other states be picking up the tap for all the pensions here in the state of illinois and the city of chicago and that's what pelosi's trying to sneak through and president trump has said over and over again i'd be willing to help you out with covid but i'm not bailing out this management of all these cities so the whole thing is a mess well, it is. Thanks, thanks for calling. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. That you, you have 
like the you have the the Democrats that control the House, and they're they're saying okay, we want to spend two point two trillion, and it's not just stimulus relief, and, and you can you can argue about who should get it, but it's not just that. But yeah, you're exactly right. We we want to have all this massive spending on on different sort of programs and things like that. A lot of which has very little to do with COVID relief. And on the other hand, you've got the Republicans in the Senate that are saying, "Look, we're, we're not going to go along with this." And some saying, "I don't think you should have anything." I say, "I'm in the middle on this. I, I think you what we need to do is appreciate that there is still an impact from the pandemic. Appreciate that there are still people that are hurting, and appreciate that oh, okay, there are some people who deserve this money or who it's appropriate for." And, and let's get it to them. But just because we did something six months ago doesn't mean that you need to do something or at least do the same thing uh, again. Um, Jeff, if another stimulus check is in the cards, I think every taxpayer should receive one. After all, we are going to help pay for it. Um, that, that is an interesting point, too. I mean, why if... You know, what, why do we have these arbitrary cutoffs at $150,000 adjusted gross income? I mean, if the idea is we're going to get everybody the money, let's, uh, let, let's, should we give it to everybody? And, you know, my, my answer is, you know, my, my answer is no. Let's figure out a way to target this. Um, let's see. We've got a lot of text here. Jeff, I see your point, but I have two jobs. Single mom here. My second job, my side gig, was waitressing. The restaurant I work for shut down March 25th. I needed that 1200 bucks to pay my rent. Well, I, again, I'm not arguing that people shouldn't get a second round of stimulus, but I'm arguing that it has to be targeted to maybe those people who are working the two jobs, for example, and, you know, who've lost one of them and have had, a, you know, a cut in their salary. Again, you can come up with the different criteria and you know if i was in charge okay I, i'd give you the different lists of things but just that this blast of we're just going to assume that everybody who makes one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or less needs the money and we're not going to pay attention to assets and we're just going to send everybody all this dough that to me just makes no sense at all jeff i agree with you a hundred percent my wife and i Each received the $1,200 this past summer. We are living very comfortably and don't need it. We actually made extra donations to charitable causes and to our adult children to help pay off their student loans. Actually, it would help young people more if they dropped the interest on their student loans. Um, Jeff, don't give out the cash. If you want to stimulate the economy, pay off one of my loans or my mortgage. I got the $1,200. I put it into my 401k. Jeff, no, my wife and I are both retired. We have more than we need. The first 1200 bucks went into a savings account and we haven't touched it yet. Jeff, um, I'm furloughed. $1,260 a month from Wisconsin. My insurance is $500 a month. You try living on $760 a month. Your rich friends can donate the money. Well, again, this is this is people not hearing me. I am not arguing that people who have lost their jobs, who are struggling, I'm not arguing that they shouldn't get the money. But yeah, I don't think my wealthy friends should be getting the money. And, and yes, they can donate the money, and maybe they'll donate it, whatever, but I don't think they need it. Doesn't it make more sense, rather than just saying we're going to give everybody money, doesn't it make sense to say let's try to figure out you know, who needs the money? Jeff, my wife and I each got 1200 bucks the last time. We did not need the money to live on. We took it, turned around, and hired people to do work on our house that maybe would have waited a year or two. So in essence, we are getting the money to employ people. I would take the money again and use it to hire people. Well, look, I, and again, I... I understand that, you know, 
I'm not expecting people to give it back. Jeff, I'm not against helping people. I'm against another round of stimulus checks. I'm in favor of getting unemployment checks to people who really, really need it. That's what we need to do. Impacted is the key or should be the key to getting help. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's it. Jeff, the cost of the bureaucracy needed to differentiate between who gets it and who doesn't would probably be equal to the amount of money of everybody getting it. Well, that's a very sad, that's a very sad state of affairs. If that's the justification, we can't figure out who needs something versus for whom it would be nice, so we're just going to give everybody the dough. Well, okay, then my question is, why do we cut it off at $150,000? Why don't we just send everybody the money? I mean, really, if that's the idea, is it too much to expect that we figure out legitimate criteria for who needs dough and then give them the money? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. I, I mentioned this briefly yesterday. Matter of fact, I, I sent out a, a tweet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty. That kind of highlights the absolute hypocrisy of the "do as I say, not as I do" movement. And the, the classic poster child of that is the governor of California. His name is Gavit Newsom, and he's a guy who who looks in the mirror and sees himself as as one of the next presidents of the United States. There, there's no question about it. And there, look, California has been decimated just like most of the country, just like all the country, with the the COVID-19 pandemic. And California has had very, very strict rules in place for the the longest time. And, uh, you know, mandatory mask rules, you know, don't associate all sorts of restrictions on how many people can gather together in restaurants, all those things. And, and, And Newsom has been pushing it. Big time, including telling people, again, don't don't gather for Thanksgiving. And that's all well and good and probably decent advice. But um, he got busted. Apparently what happened is he he decided that he was going to go to this high-end lunch uh, with uh, over a dozen people at this Michelin restaurant called the French Michelin five-star restaurant called the French Laundry in Napa, where um, the restaurant offers tastings that begin at $350 a plate. So the governor of California shows up at this. Now, the interesting thing, and he's, there's pictures, you know, and he nobody's wearing masks, and they're all in close quarters. Um, it's a brunch that apparently is honoring a, a lobbyist for him. But here's the other interesting detail. Turns out that somebody else that was in attendance there, the CEO of the California Medical Association, okay, who's partly responsible for coming out with the COVID-19 guidelines, he's there at the same party with Newsom. Now, again, I, I think we all have to be serious about COVID-19. You know, we have to follow these different rules. But th- at the same time, you know, if, if you've got a governor of the state that's preaching this, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the governor of that state to follow him. Is it? All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the recount and where you see it going. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have one of these topics where, in one way or another, absolutely everybody is wrong. Just absolutely everybody is wrong, and in some cases, shamefully wrong. All right, here, here is the deal. There is going to be a partial recount 
of the vote tabulation in Wisconsin. It starts tomorrow. It's dedicated and directed at Milwaukee and Dane counties. The Trump campaign has ponied up, uh, I think, in the neighborhood of $3 million, which is the down payment on paying for this. They're not doing a whole statewide recount, but they're focusing on Dane County and Milwaukee County. Well, all right, you get the story. As a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a link to this. And, of course, you, you have... Some politicians who really know better or should know better, who've decided that, okay, we're going to use this as an opportunity to try to inflame passions among some of our constituents. So here you got Tom Barrett, and Barrett, <clears throat> he, he's apparently upset that they're, they're targeting Milwaukee County and Dane County. <clears throat> So Barrett says, no surprise, Donald Trump has been consistent. He'll go after communities of color, and he'll go after communities where there are lots of Democrats, and he doesn't care. Obviously, I'm offended that he picks the county and the state and the city that has the highest percentage of African Americans in the state. A failed candidate, a failed campaign, and a soon-to-be failed recount effort. So Barrett can't help himself. He, he's playing the, the race card. And the story in the Journal Sentinel quotes other leaders as saying, you know, the <clears throat> the same thing. David Bowen, who's one of the guys that shows up all the time, the state representative at some of the various protests, he says he suspects the city was targeted for voter fraud allegations because of the power that Milwaukee has, and he said because of the racist perception that there's no way there legally could be a win to happen unless we cheated, the racial connotations and dog whistles are clearly being used. So, okay, the the fact that the Trump campaign is focusing on on Dane County and on Milwaukee County, that's got to be racist. Heavy sigh. Okay, here, here, here's the reality. The Trump campaign in the recount, and we're going to talk about the recount in just a minute. What they're doing is they don't want to spend $8 million. I don't know if they've got $8 million, but they don't want to spend $8 million on a statewide recount that has absolutely no chance of succeeding. Now, I'm going to argue in a minute that the recount they're doing has no chance of succeeding. But here's what's going on. The two counties in Wisconsin that gave Joe Biden his big victory margin were Dane County and Milwaukee County. So what they're doing, if you think about this, just it makes sense. You are targeting these two counties where Biden had the huge margin of, of victory. And, and he did win. He, you, so they're targeting that. And to the extent that you want to raise challenges about, you know, absentee voting or, or whatever. Now, I don't think those challenges are going anywhere, but that's where you had percentage wise. That's where you had these massive ballot turn ins, Dane County and uh, and Milwaukee County. And, and by the way, they're doing them in both counties. So, I mean, it's not like Dane County is overwhelmingly minority. It's not the reason these two counties were selected. And Barrett knows this and Bowen knows it and the other people, the journalists. Sentinel find they they know it. The reason these two were selected wasn't because of the racial makeup. It was because this is where the Biden margin of victory came from, the big numbers. And just again, it, it's look, this is this isn't even a hail mary you know pass. This it's not going to go anywhere. But again, it's like all right, let's figure out a start. If for some reason 
we can figure out a way to, you know, we, we can find some evidence of, of miscounting, or we can find irregularities, which would give us a basis to challenge, you know, a huge number of votes. You're, you're going to go in the areas where the, the Biden campaign ran up the big numbers. If Biden had lost, I would expect them to do the same thing, to be looking at, okay, let's try to find some of these counties for a recount where, where we, we lost by the biggest margins to see if there's some sort of problem. So on the one hand, it just drives me absolutely crazy to see that everything has to be racialized. When you think about it, this is just, it's the thing that makes sense. we got $3 million. Here's what we're going to do. Let's recount in the areas to see if we can find irregularities in those areas where Biden ran up the big margins. It just makes sense. And I understand that by, by playing the race card, it, it allows you to pander to your particular base, and that's all well and good. But let's just understand what's really going on here. So then the flip side comes in. You, you have the $3 million that is being spent on on the recount and I understand the State Elections Commission is is already at odds and arguing about this and arguing about that and okay this is how close to observers need to be and all these different things. Our number is 855-616-1620 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now having just said that I find it very disappointing that those people at least some of those elected officials who are thrilled with the idea that, that Joe Biden won I'm very, very disappointed that they've decided that they're going to, again, play the race card in connection with this. I find that to be disappointing. Having said all that, though, I I guess I kind of look at this whole process, and, and yes, we're going to go through the recount, and I understand that there's these fights that are going on, but the truth of the matter is it's now been over two weeks since the election, and you've had various allegations that have been made, and by and large, those allegations have gone absolutely nowhere, absolutely nowhere, with, with no sort of <clears throat> validity at all. Now, <clears throat> maybe you can argue that, gee, I, I don't like the fact that, you know, in Wisconsin we allow absentee ballots, or we, we don't like the fact that, you know, you, you have, we talked yesterday about the democracy in the park. We, we don't think that's the best way to proceed. But when you talk about real voter fraud, And I'm not talking about, gee, was there an irregularity here or there. When you talk about real voter fraud, at some point in time, you need to have evidence of that. And and we've been through now two-plus weeks of this, not just in Wisconsin, but elsewhere as well. And at some point in time, don't you have to say put up or shut up? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I know this isn't what some people want to hear. I, I have no doubt that when they do the recount in Milwaukee and in Dane County, it is not going to in any material way change the, the numbers. You know, it, it, Biden might pick up 50 votes here. Trump might pick up 100 votes there. But it's not going to change the numbers in any material fashion. In addition, it's not going to disclose any real material evidence of of fraud, you know, ballots that should have been counted that weren't, ballots that were altered. It's just there's nothing there at this point in time that demonstrates it. And I guess I kind of reach this point where I say, I just, moving forward, I don't think this is good for the country because I, I don't think... 
I, I think we have to realize that we have elections. And those elections, at some point in time, you have a winner and you have a loser. And there's always, look, I understand there's 75 million people who voted for Joe Biden who are thrilled that he won. There's 71 million plus people who voted for Donald Trump who are upset that he lost. I, I get it. But you have winners and you have losers. And that these if you're going to throw around terms of voter fraud or the election was stolen or stop the steal or whatever, you have to... You have to, at some point in time, put up or shut up. And two weeks into this election, I'm not seeing any sort of material information, material evidence at all, indicating that this election was, quote-unquote, stolen in any material form. The, the only thing that I've seen over the last two weeks in Wisconsin was apparently in Cedarburg they're investigating whether somebody voted for whether somebody like voted for their dead father or something like that. But 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 that that's not shifting that's not shifting tens of thousands of votes. 855-616-1620 is it time to put the fraud stuff behind us? Recognize the election happened two weeks ago. Recognize, as the federal elections chief, who got fired by the president, said, this this was one of the, the best run and one of the safest run elections that, that we've had in U.S. history. Is it time to put that behind us? Recognize that Joe Biden won as president, that Republicans picked up seats in the House, Republicans with uh, you know held control of the Senate, or at least they've got 50 seats. They didn't lose as many seats as people thought they were going to. And is it time to move on? 855-616-1620, do you still believe there was massive voter fraud in Wisconsin or elsewhere? And if so, why? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, did you not watch the president's lawyers' thousands of irregularities and affidavits signed by many people under the threat of perjury? I I'm, look, I, I'm. I'm just here to tell you, President Trump is grasping at at straws. President Trump lost the election, and you, know, you look at the numbers that, that are out there. You know, you're going to tell me you're going to flip a hundred plus thousand votes in Michigan. I mean, it's just not it's not flat going to happen. But I, I, I understand that you have people who you know want to maintain that. But but I guess here's why I, I feel the way I do. I think we have to have. We have to have confidence in the integrity of the election system. And this idea that we're just going to throw stuff up on the wall and expect it to stick, and all that does is it fans the flame of believing that our elections are are not legitimate. So two years from now, when somebody runs against Tony Evers, and Wisconsin's always going to be close, and and beats Tony Evers, when a Republican beats Tony Evers by 25,000 votes out of, again, 3 million cast, are, are we then going to spend the next several months, oh, this isn't legitimate, he didn't win, there had to be all this theft going on at some point in time you, you need to be able to put up the goods not just crazy rudy giuliani you know going on fox news and just starting to spout off you know every sort of nut theory that's there which isn't to say that you know when you're asking for a recount that that means that you're you know that it's it's racist or or whatever 
Let's have the recounts. Let's do the numbers. But this chasing voter fraud right and left, you, you better have a lot of evidence to back this up. 855-616-1620. Lucy on the west side. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Is it okay if I'm on this phone? Sure, absolutely. Hello? Oh, okay. All Hi, right. go ahead. I'm on, I'm on the car. Okay. Um, I feel personally insulted. I've been a poll worker since 2012, and I know how clean and efficient Milwaukee's elections are and how well-trained everybody is and the training you have to have. But I wanted to address one point, because one of the things that's out there is about the absentee ballots. It must be bogus because more were mailed out than came back or were voted, so it must be bogus, it must be fraud. And we were mailing people ballots who didn't ask for them. That's simply not true. Nobody got an absentee ballot unless they filled out a request for it. What the state mailed out was an invitation to ask for an absentee ballot. Number two, a lot of people did get absentee ballots and didn't return them because they decided they wanted to vote in person. I had a neighbor, two neighbors, that tore up their absentee ballots after the first debate because they weren't going to vote at all, and then they sheepishly showed up at the Humane Society to vote on November 3rd. Thank goodness they did. Uh, And I don't know if people know it, but it's marked in the poll books uh, whether an absentee had been returned or whether an absentee was mailed. And if people show up and it says an absentee was mailed, we politely ask, did you return your absentee? And they say no. Or sometimes they hand it to the poll worker and say, tear this up, I want to vote in person. So there's no fraud there. This is just nonsense. Yeah, and, and again, and see, Lucy, I am willing to accept that there may be some irregularities, and, and I am willing to accept, for example, that maybe there's an isolated situation of somebody going into a, a nursing home and illegally, you know, filling out ballots for a handful of the residents. I mean, I, I, I don't have no evidence of that, but I know there's allegations. I'll accept that maybe that happened. No election is ever going to be perfect. But when you consider the 140-plus million ballots that get cast, I, I think we do a pretty good job of 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 running that. And I say that regardless of whether a Republican wins or whether a Democrat wins. I think we do a pretty good job. Will there always be a little bit of fraud? Yeah. But is it, or irregularities, but is it going to be enough to change an election? Not going to happen. Just flat, not going to happen. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the perspective. And, and I, I'm still, I guess I'm, I'm still getting all these texts from people who are, you know, recirculating, again, the, these Internet rumors that, that are out there. And I, look, I, I understand. If your candidate loses, you're upset. I, I get that. I, so I, I appreciate that. But I, it's all these Internet rumors that are out there. I, I'm still getting people saying, well, you know, what about the city of Milwaukee and its ballot dump? And this is the same thing that happened to Scott Walker, where you go to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning and, and Walker's ahead and all of a sudden, and all these votes come in in Milwaukee. Well, we we, we know what that is, and and that is that you know the city of Milwaukee uh, counts all the absentee ballots. They do them in one location. They do them. They don't put them through the machines. They're not allowed to, which is a mistake in my opinion. They're not allowed to do that early. So what's going to happen is one or two o'clock in the morning, they're going to get the numbers from all those absentee ballots that come in, and then there's going to be the quote-unquote number drop. Now, that doesn't mean there's fraud. It's just the way the system operates. All I am saying is that 
it's just not good for the country to go around spreading sort of unfounded rumors that, oh, this election was stolen, when you don't have the goods to prove that. And pretty much what's happened so far is that all these different allegations come out, and then, at least so far, the court cases are getting tossed out. People who file affidavits then, under the, under the penalties of perjury, end up backing off on this stuff. I mean, Jeff, I'm a diehard Republican. I agree with you 100%. I'm sad. But, but we need to move on. Um, Jeff, there was massive voter fraud in Wisconsin on three levels. A record number of 90-year-olds registered to vote and did. COVID allowed liberals to break state law in the retirement homes. Okay, well, that's not evidence of, of fraud. Jeff, 243,000 non-residents were allowed to stay on voter rolls for over a year against state law. Look, I... I but you, there's no evidence that any significant number, those are people who moved, um, who should be removed from the voting rolls. And I agree with that. But there's no significant evidence that people, you know, 243,000 people who should have been removed from the voting rolls voted. I mean, seriously, you, you need to be able to, you need to be able to, I mean, document it if you're going to allege fraud. Jeff, it's about election integrity. We should all want that. Mail-in ballots are ripe with, with fraud. Okay, if you want to say that, that that's fine. But then at some point in time, you got to put it up, put up or shut up. Show me where the fraud is. I mean, and by talking about fraud, I'm not talking about some technical irregularity. I'm talking about somebody who voted who wasn't allowed to legally vote. And then show me large numbers of those people in, in order to swing an election. Look, I understand there's people who want to grasp for this stuff, and, and maybe I, I'd make you happier if I'm here just preaching, thinking, oh, this, this election was stolen, you know, we need to fight to the end. I'm just telling you, as somebody who tries to call it like I see it, I'm looking at this evidence, and I don't see any massive evidence of any sort of fraud which would change the results of an election. And the sooner we get past that, the better it's going to be for everybody. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Now, during the break, I got texts from a number of people saying, well, Jeff, you need to read this or you need to listen to this particular person who's talking about widespread voter fraud, etc., etc. And all I can say is I I live in the real world here, and I I understand that people want things to be a certain way. And I understand that there's people who, you know, drink certain, you you drink the Kool-Aid or whatever. And I get all that. But the truth of the matter is, when you're talking about you know widespread rampant voter fraud, and again, I, I I appreciate that you're going to have you know somebody who tries to vote twice, or, or maybe you have somebody that goes into a nursing home and, and illegally, I don't know, votes for ten res, votes for ten residents. Oh, I, I I accept that stuff like that's going to go on, but we're talking about widespread fraud, systematic fraud that votes for dead people or, or changes the results of thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of ballots. And all I'm saying is I, I don't see any sort of material evidence of that. I mean, one of the last examples is somebody said, well, Jeff, you know, don't you realize that there's 243,000 names on, on voters' rolls that should be removed? And and, and yes, I, I did a topic about that the other day. I mean, we do not do a good job in Wisconsin of culling the voting rolls, that is, you know, getting names of people who have moved off the lists. You know, in Wisconsin, the law says 
that what's supposed to happen is if the clerks or the election commission gets notification from the DMV or the post office or a couple other agencies that people have moved, well, then what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to send out a postcard and ask, hey, have you in fact really moved? And if the person doesn't return it, well, what happens is your name is supposed to come off the voter rolls. That that makes eminent sense to me, because if we're going to have mail-in voting, for example, you, you need to constantly keep updating the, the records. And as a general rule, there's no reason <clears throat> at all. The, the fact of the matter is that, I mean, you're not going to send a change of address notification to the post office or to the DMV unless you've really changed your address. There was an interesting piece, and I sent out a tweet about this the other day in the Journal Sentinel, and it was a very, in my opinion, very misleading and biased headline. So there's like 243,000 people who have apparently moved. Of those 243,000, there's less than 5,000 that they believe might have been scheduled to be removed from the voter rolls who didn't actually didn't actually move. Maybe it's, for example, it's a deal where you, uh, you, you live with your sister and your sister moves to West Bend and so the, the, the DMV picks it up that, that you've moved. Okay, but, but it's only about 5,000 people out of 243,000 and that tells me that the system really is working incredibly well. If there's less than a 2% error rate, that's great. And even worst case scenario, you get sent the postcard that says, hey, we You've gotten evidence indicating you've moved. All you got to do is send the postcard back, and once you send the postcard back, they're not going to take you off the rolls. Or absolute worst case scenario, you, you show up to vote, and they say, "Oh, you know, you, you've been removed from the rolls." Well, in Wisconsin, we have same day registration, so you can you can re-register right there at the polls. So it's really a no harm, no foul sort of thing. So it's a system that makes sense. Right now, the Supreme Court is hearing a case as to whether or not all those names have to come off the rolls or not. I think the Supreme Court's going to say, yes, it does. I think the system is reliable, and, and everything's going to be fine. But uh, so people are saying, well, that's evidence that there's you know a quarter million vote uh, examples of voter fraud. N- no, it, 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 it's not. It, it's not showing any voter fraud at all. There might be people that are inadvertently, that should have been removed from one address because they've moved to another, but it's not an example of fraud unless you can show that those people actually, you know, voted. I mean, you know, and and so far there's no evidence of that. Did somebody vote? Maybe twice? Okay, maybe. Did five or ten people vote? Maybe twice? Okay, maybe. But that's that's five or ten votes, worst-case scenario. The fact that, you know, you haven't updated the roles as well as you should, I get it. That's an issue, and it's something that, that should be addressed. But it doesn't mean that there's a couple hundred thousand people who have committed widespread voter fraud. So you have to be really careful between trying to distinguish between what's really fraud and what are what I would describe as not best practices. And again, I I go back to this for everybody who thinks that there was like widespread fraud. How do you account for the fact that we, we had a balanced election result? How do you account for the fact that Susan Collins got reelected as a Republican in Maine, or Tom Tillis got reelected as a Republican in um, in North Carolina, or that Jody Ernst got reelected as a Republican in Iowa, or in the state of Wisconsin, that the Republicans extended the the number of seats that they have in the state Senate and still have, what, 61 out of 99 representatives? 
representatives in the assembly. I mean, if there was this widespread voter fraud, wouldn't you think it would be up and down the ballot? And wouldn't you think if it would be in one state after another after another? All I'm saying is sometimes elections don't work out, but you have to kind of use your head in trying to decide, is it just an outcome I don't like or was it really stolen? And if you can show me hard evidence believing that a, an election was stolen, I'm with you. But I'm, I'm a former prosecutor. You've got to show me that evidence. And all I'm saying is I don't see it. All right, when we come back, the number is in. It's $125,000. We will discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, it was announced yesterday, two days ago, that Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Mensa was going to be voluntarily resigning from the Wauwatosa Police Department. He had reached a, a settlement, a, a separation agreement with the city. Now, Everybody knows about Officer Mensa. He is the police officer who has been involved in three separate shootings over the last five years, all three of which turned out to be justified. No basis for criminal action against him. They've all been investigated. Now, Mensa became the target of a, a small but loud group of protesters who disrupted several things in Wauwatosa over the course of the last several months, alleging that you know he was engaged in misconduct. There's been no evidence of that at all. Now, as I said before, though, when we were discussing this, I thought it was in the interest of everybody for Officer Mensa to move on, simply because at some point in time you become such a lightning rod that you it's very difficult for you to do your job because you know as long as he was on the police force, there would be people out there who would be trying to, I don't know, provoke him to try to um, again see if they could provoke a response from him whatever and and, you know it's fair or unfair and I think this man was treated incredibly unfairly by a a small mob of people in Wauwatosa but nevertheless he became a political hot potato and I think candidly it's in the interest of of everybody it's in the interest of of Officer Mensa it's in the interest of the um, city of Wauwatosa and it's probably in the interest of the police department for him to move on. So they cut a separation deal. Um, Apparently, according to the separation agreement, he is going to get his salary and health insurance through the end of next year, 2021. He's going to get deferred compensation. I assume that means money that they were going to contribute into a 401k amount. And he's going to get a severance payout. So the story is this package that he ended up cutting um, is going to net him about $125,000. And in exchange for that $125,000, He agrees he's going to voluntarily resign. He agrees that he's not going to sue the Wauwatosa Police Department for his, or the city, for his suspension. In essence, he just moves on. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, once this amount was announced, I got a couple texts from people who... Some absolutely outraged that the city of Wauwatosa would pay him a dime. Other people thinking he, he didn't get enough. My take on this is this, this is a reasonable resolution of this matter. I think it's good for 
Officer Mensa to put this behind him. I think it's good for the police department and for the community to put it behind him. I think in many respects he got shafted. But at the same time, sometimes that's just the way stuff works out. I think it would have been difficult for him to continue as a police officer, but I don't have any problem at all with the city paying him $125,000 because, candidly, I I think if this matter had proceeded into litigation, they might be on the hook for a lot more. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, I can't say who I am, but I worked with Joe Mensa professionally. He's a great person, a great officer, and he didn't deserve any of this. What isn't being discussed is the profound impact this has on the police morale, productivity, and ability to retain current good officers, not to mention hiring and retaining new officers. The city will ultimately suffer as crime spikes and the quality of officer decline. People need to hold their local politicians accountable who are solely to blame for all of this. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think even with the settlement, the officer got shafted. That's less than two years of wages and benefits. Jeff, unfortunately, you have a brave police officer who defended his life three times, and now he's going to lose his job. Jeff, Officer Mensa should be hailed as a hero. The people that lost their lives chose to be criminal. Jeff, finally, you and I agree on a topic of yours today. Okay, well, there you go. Jeff, I think he deserves more. Jeff, it's the right decision. The village of Tosa would like to put this matter behind him. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is a reasonable resolution of this matter. I know there's some people that have a lot of heartburn over him getting a dime. He's a murderer. He shouldn't get a cent. Well, no, he, he was he was engaged. He found himself in a situation where you had... He was required to use deadly force on three separate occasions. All those have been validated. Um, He was targeted by some angry members of a small mob. The mob got what it wanted. They forced him out. But I don't think $125,000 is unreasonable for him to go. Uh, Let's start with Ryan in Oconomowoc. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. What do you think? Uh, I, I think that the severance package is pretty fair. Um, it's not like he's unemployable. He w- he wasn't fired, so I'm sure he's going to get another job. He'll move him around. He'll find another job as a police officer somewhere else. Um, so I really don't think it's it's unfair. And uh, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like a guy like him puts himself into a position of being in bad predicaments. I'm a CDL driver. I've driven for 25 years, and if I was in three accidents, even if they're no fault of my own, yeah. I believe I'd be fired. Yeah, thanks for the call, Brandon. Let me, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I had this conversation and I, 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 with, with Barry Weber, who is the police chief in Wauwatosa, and I, I, honestly, I don't recall if we had the conversation on the air or off the air. And so I, I, but we, we definitely discussed this. And, and I understand. I mean, look, I, I started in law enforcement. And there are men and women who are in various aspects of law enforcement who go their entire careers without having to pull a gun. I, I, I get it. I understand that. But at the same time, here, here's the other thing when it comes to being a cop. You don't get to pick which assignments you, you get. You know, you, you don't. It's not like you get to say, okay, I'm going to only answer the, the barking dog complaints. That Those are the only ones that, that I'm going to 
go up to. And even a barking dog complaint can occasionally, you know, result in some unexpected situation. It can take a bad turn. You know, when you're a police officer, you, you just, you come in one day, you're out on patrol, you get this call saying, hey, there, there's there's a situation with a kid with a gun at Mayfair. You know, you got to go out and deal with it. Or, hey, we have a report that there's somebody who's got a got a sword that's, you know, mis- that's acting up, you know, go out and investigate it. Or, you know, we've got a report that there's somebody who's sleeping in their car in Hart Park. You, you don't get to pick and choose who you what which calls you have and so i mean i appreciate what you're saying brandon about you know you put yourself in bad situations but as as a cop you you just go where the calls are and sometimes it, it just is that sometimes it's just unlucky that you're in a situation where hey i'm the guy that gets the call to go check out the guy who's you know in the car at three o'clock in the morning and he's got a gun next to him and he reaches for the gun when i bang on the window okay that's that's not you putting yourself in a bad situation it's just the circumstances that that are there so you've got those whole circumstances that are going now the thing that i seriously wonder about and you know you made the point that you think he's going to be able to get a job as a police officer moving forward I don't know. I mean, I I honestly don't know about that because the reality of this is when when you apply for a job in law enforcement, let's say you want to stay in law enforcement and you decide you want to stay in the state or you want to move to some other state, you know, when you apply for a job in law enforcement, it's not like his background is a secret. And so I, I do seriously wonder if the guy were to move to Kansas and apply for a job, you know, with the Emporia, Kansas Police Department to just pick a city, you know, and they're going to do the background check, and then it, it's not like any secret. You're going to have all this information coming up, and I, I wonder whether the, the circumstances have essentially made you untouchable. So in, in all honesty, I'm skeptical about whether he's ever going to be able to continue his career in law enforcement. Matter of fact, I, I'm kind of doubtful about that. And in that case, it, it is, it's a shame. I, I think it's a shame because everything I know, all the information tells me that he's a pretty good cop who I, I think ended up in some difficult situations, really through no fault of his own, and then became sort of the poster child for some of the, the protest movement that was sweeping our communities and this country over the course of, of the last year. You know, had, had this happened five years ago, I don't know, would, would it have had the same sort of resonance? My, my answer is probably not. Bottom line of all this, though, is I, I think it's in everybody's interest, including Officer Mensa's interest, for, for him to move on, to get a fresh start. I wish him nothing but the best. I think in many respects he was shafted by what happened in Wauwatosa, and I think the way that some elected officials behaved, including some people who are no longer elected officials in Wauwatosa, I, I think the way they behaved in this regard was, was shameful in catering to the mob as opposed to looking out for the overall interest of the community. Whether this is going to have a long-term effect on morale at the Wauwatosa Police Department, you know, only time will tell. But I think it's good to close this chapter, and I don't think $125,000 is an unreasonable amount to make the closure. All right, when we come back, we're talking freeways, we're talking Wonder Woman, and a lot more. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. If you get the idea that people out in Madison are just making it up as they go along, 
Well, that's because they are just making it up as, as they go along. You know, on Tuesday, the, the Dane County Public Health System comes out and says, we're, we're now going to have a ban on any indoor gatherings at all. In other words, you are not allowed to have anybody over to your house. Um, so no, no Thanksgiving dinner. If it's people that live at the house, that's fine. But if the neighbor wants to come over and have a cup of coffee, you're not allowed to do that. If you want to have your kids come over, you're not allowed to do that. If you want to go visit your, your mom and, and dad and check on them, you're not allowed to do that. And so they impose this rule. Now, my point has been this is unenforceable, it's ridiculous, and people aren't going to comply with it. It's one thing to encourage people to try to be smart, and if you don't feel good, don't don't go and maintain distances. But this idea that you check on your parents or that you can't have, uh, again, your your daughter over for a cup of coffee or something, it, it's just such an overreach that people aren't going to follow it. But the question that started to come out was, well, wait a second. Do you, does this really mean that? Are, are you really saying that you, you can't have anybody over to your house for the next month? And um, uh, yesterday, the public health people confirmed that that's what it means, that you are not allowed to have any gathering at all for people at your house for any size at all for someone other than that you want to live with, that you live with. So if your kid wants to stop over and check on you, that would be against the rules, which then raises the other question. Okay, if you're not allowed to have anybody over to your house, what happens if the furnace goes out? Or or what happens if the pipe springs a leak? Or what happens to your cleaning person if you have your house cleaned? Or what happens to the stove repair guy that's coming over? Or or what about the contractor that's scheduled to paint your house? Can they come? Now, let let me just kind of walk through this. You would think that if we're saying your daughter can't come over and sit in your living room and have coffee with you, because it's too much of a danger, you would think that that would also apply to the furnace repair people or the plumbers or any of the other contractors or the painters because they're going to be in your house as well, right? I mean, if you're going to be consistent about this, you would think that that would mean essentially we are going to shut down all those sort of services in Dane County because I think you could make a strong argument that if you're worried about the spread of COVID, it's much greater for having like a stranger that's coming over to the house than, say, having your, your daughter who's been, you know, in her own social bubble. All right, so th- that was one of the questions. Well, okay, so yes, they have now confirmed that no, no, no gathering, so nobody is allowed in your house, except they now say this doesn't apply to having a contractor come over to fix a broken furnace or a regularly scheduled visit from a home cleaning services or a plumber or a painter. All, all, all those type of things are okay. So you can have all those people in your house. Now, you might say to me, Jeff, what, what is the, the difference? And my answer would be, well, as a practical matter, there, there's not. Dane County says... Well, no. If you have your daughter over for a cup of coffee or a soda, that's a gathering. If you have an army of painters in your house or contractors, that's a service. And it's, it's okay to have people come in to provide services, but it's not okay to have the gatherings. I swear, I, I'm not making this up. So, I don't know, presumably, if... 
I, I had my son, my stepdaughter and my son-in-law, if they wanted to come over because, um, gee, I've got an electrical problem, and uh, Darren is really good with electrical stuff, so he's going to come over to the house, and Jenny's going to come with him, and they're going to fix the outlet. That would be okay because they're providing a service, so they can come into the house for that. But if we decide to, I guess, I don't know, um, have them over for lunch instead, they can't do that because it's it's a gathering. Now, don't ask me the quite the tough question, which is, what about if they come over to repair the electrical outlet and then you let them stay so, you know, you, you have a soda? Can, can you do that? Does the service then become a gathering? So you can stay for two hours to paint the wall, but then you got to leave. You can't stay and have a soda. I, I, I bring this up because it's all nuts. It's just it's just flat out nuts, and I just I wish people would see the absurdity of these types of, of situations. Now, look, I understand, as I've said repeatedly, you got to be smart on COVID. You shouldn't be having large gatherings. You shouldn't be hanging out with people. If you feel sick, you you should be quarantining. All those different types of things, and I know we need to do better on it. But when you have government that comes down with unenforceable orders. You know, again, and the point I've been making all along is Thanksgiving is coming up, what, a week from today? You know, are we going to have Dane County health officials and Dane County sheriffs driving up and down the streets of Dane County looking to see if there's multiple cars parked in front of a house and then trying to find somebody to get a search warrant to go in and check it out? I mean, are we going to be doing that? And the answer is, I hope not. But, again, think about the absurdity of this. You can't have your daughter over for coffee. But you can have an army of painters come in to, to paint your house or plumbers or whatever. Now, of course, of, of course, if your furnace breaks, you want to get it repaired. If the plumbing breaks, you want to have a pipe guy come in to fix it. Of course, you should be able to do that. But is that any more of a risk than, again, have, having your daughter or your, your son-in-law or something like that over? I bring this up only because it demonstrates the complete non-randomness and nonsensical nature of of these types of orders. And my point has been all along, I think it makes sense. Encourage people to comply with stuff, get, try to get people to do the right thing, and then concentrate on where the real problems are. And I find it difficult to believe that the real problem with the spread of COVID-19 is because the 70-year-old uh, lady decides that she's going to have her daughter over for a cup of coffee or that you're going to have you know, your two grandkids over for, for Thanksgiving dinner. I don't believe that's where the major spread is coming. But by having all these different rules in place, again, some that make no sense at all, all you do is encourage, I think, a disregard for all the different rules. I mean, seriously, what's the difference between a furnace repair guy and your granddaughter? Well, in Dane County, the furnace repair guy can come over, your granddaughter can't. Tell me how that makes sense. Okay, when we come back, let's find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.